Welcome to the Believing and Achieving podcast, where we discuss all things related to health, longevity, improvement, awareness, and creativity. I am your host, Kylie Comstock, a self-taught master of the mind and body. Each week, we will have a topic to discuss with guests of all different backgrounds, stories, and knowledge to help you unlock the power within and incinerate your goals. Elise Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody. So grateful for each of you listening and excited for another episode on the Believing and Achieving podcast. Today is going to be an absolute blast. We get to learn from someone who I not only look up to and love so much, but someone who has greatly impacted others' lives for the better. My dad, Roger Comstock, is an entrepreneur, CEO, master salesman, business owner, and aspiring author. He has been able to build companies, business relationships, create and design new products, and learn some incredible ways to market and sell anything. So excited to have you on today, Dad. And I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, and we're just going to roll into it. So first question for my dad is, where did you grow up and how did that influence who you are now? So I grew up in Southern Cal. I was born in Pasadena, California and had relatives all over from Los Angeles, Huntington Beach, Newport, for those of you that know Southern California, Escondido, Fallbrook, Glendora, uh, all over the place down there, Oceanside, Riverside. So anyway, uh, born down there, spent my very youngest years down there, but went back often uh, to visit relatives and love the energy of Southern California. Do not love all the people that are down there, but love to still visit. Uh, wouldn't want to live there. No offense to Southern California people, of course, but I uh, just love it. Love the energy and the vitality that's down there. The energy is really fun. It's exciting, especially when you're a new emerging business. And I think it's like you feel the rush of everyone trying to be successful. So it's, yeah, it's a really fun area. And we've been able to visit California a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. I don't think we've really visited a lot of where you've grown up. So I'd love to Yeah, probably see that not. More. We visit Disneyland, <laughs> which is not that far from some of those places I mentioned. But uh, you get that vibe down there as well. But uh, yeah, really haven't. We probably ought to do that sometime. Mm -hmm. I also like am curious. So were these like smaller towns of California or were they like was I... I saw you said uh fallbrook like was that kind of is that like la where it's like tons of traffic or are they kind of like smaller areas that's a great question fallbrook and escondido actually were much smaller growing up a lot of avocado and citrus orchards and kind of countryside more rural not like what you picture normally with la and my cousins live there so we had lots of fun down there doing stupid things as young kids and uh, wouldn't be anything like normal L.A. type of life. It was really, really rural, really nice, uh, no crime, et cetera, et cetera. So it was really a fun place to go visit when I was a kid. So that's kind of maybe where the famous California oranges yeah, originated. A of, sure, a lot of California citrus, oranges, lemons, all those things, and then tons of avocado trees and orchards down there, and we still love avocados. Those are great. Oh, yes. But California avocados are always fresh. They're the based. We love them. Okay, so uh, jumping kind of into the business side of things, what was the first business that you started? That's a great question. I actually started, got a little taste of corporate America. So way back when, uh, I was asked to manage two 7-Elevens. 
and at the same time, so I did the books and uh, paid the bills and stocked the shelves and ordered product and all those wonderful things and did it for a private franchised owner. And uh, that was a great learning bed, great experience for me. A lot of work, a lot of nighttime work, a lot of, you know, employees that didn't show up on their swing shift or their graveyard. So guess who had to fill in for those? So it wasn't really a great lifestyle move, but it was a, a great uh uh, foundation or bed for business and learning how a small business operates. I went from there to uh, Fred Myers, which was a major um, uh, department store, uh, really strong in the Northwest right now. It used to be in Utah, and I was a general merchandise manager manager there, and that was killer. That was like start at 5 a.m. in the morning, open the store, work till midnight, oh drive gosh. all the way home, and start the process over. So you you give your all. To a company like that and I ended up the the district manager heard that I was going to quit and he came in and he says you know Roger you can be exactly where I'm at and I just paused for a minute and I smiled at him and I said thank you but no thanks I know exactly your lifestyle I am not interested so I took my big wad of keys and my little gold management smock off and I put it on his desk and I walked straight out his office and straight out those power retracting doors I thought Man, that feels good. Now what am I going to do? And you asked the question a minute ago, what was my first business? So I went out and I started a, a food business. And I started it just by myself, doing it by myself. And back in those days, uh, we just cold cold prospected. So I took the phone book. This will kind of date me a little bit, an actual paper phone book. And I would dial out of the phone book for hours all day long, starting at 8 or 9 in the morning till 5 or 6 in the evening. And I'd try to randomly... Uh, set up uh, appointments to meet with families in their homes at night. And then I do selling until nine or 10 at night. And so kind of a grueling schedule, but I started to make some real money. I didn't know I couldn't sell. No, you know, I didn't have anybody whispering in my ear saying, oh, you don't want to be a salesman. You're going to, you know, be unemployed after every sale. It's a big grind. It's miserable. I didn't know any of that stuff. So I just went out and did it and I did really well at it. And then Ended up hiring a bunch of other guys, and we ended up traveling all over the United States selling food. And my first full 12 months in the business, this is way back when, I made $120,000. And this is when I was wow. like 22 years old. And it might as well have been, you know, today that'd probably be more like three or four or $500,000 right. in today's dollars. But it was huge enough that it actually ruined me, meaning... I could never go back to corporate America. I could never go back to working for someone else. And hence, my entrepreneurial life began right around 22. And to this day, I've always had a venture that I've been working on. So mm -hmm. long answer to your short question, but uh, thought you'd like some of that context. No, I love that. I love how you mentioned about like the grind that you had to go through and the all the struggles and the hardships of kind of emerging because like 5 a.m that grueling schedule of waking up early and you said so where you were stocking like shelves and oh stuff? i did everything as a general merchandise manager you're in charge of the whole floor and and making sure that you know product is put up in a particular schematic so this product has to go on an end cap this product has to go three slots over all that kind of stuff building displays 
opening, turning on the computers, getting the registers working, you know, running the safe, uh, solving customer problems, all those types of things. And it started literally at five in the morning. It went to about midnight because you oh just worked on insane hours. Your, your hourly rate was embarrassing by the time you figured that out. I'd go all the way home. I drove all the way from Salt Lake down to Utah Valley, which was a 45 minute hour drive, sleep for a few hours and then start that whole thing over. So not really conducive to uh, a great life personally or on the family front. That was a real struggle. And uh, it, I'm grateful because it uh, pushed me out of doing anything even remotely similar to that type of lifestyle, being owned by a business or being owned by someone else and not dictating the course of my destiny. Yeah, I like how you mentioned that because I think you have to feel the pain to understand why you don't want to be there, right? To remind yourself, hey, I don't want to be working for anybody else ever again. I don't want to live this life ever, ever again, right? Exactly. So. And in this case, there was lots of pain. Lots of pain. Lots of pain. Um, wow, yeah, that's a lot. And I think that's insane that you made $120,000 at 22 years old, right? I mean, just kind of by winging it. You were just... I didn't know people. I couldn't do it, so I just went out and did it. And I was—I've always been a fighter. I'm the guy that, uh, to a fault, there's actually a downside to what I'm about to say to you. But I'm the guy that you have to pull their bloody dead fingers off of it before they'll ever let go of it. So, uh, I believe in Calvin Coolidge's adage, which he says, you know, the world's full of educated derelicts. That doesn't mean if you have an education, you're a derelict by any stretch. There's room for very highly educated people. But he says persistence alone is omnipotent, and uh, that will get you farther ahead than anything. And so I have always been very focused on that. And like I say, to a fault, but that might be another story another time. But, uh, yeah, I'm very persistent and very driven. I love how you said persistence alone is omnipotent. That's awesome. And I, I agree with you on the education front. I think that you can go both ways. You can go into the education and you know get a degree and do really well or you can work for yourself and also do really well there's going to be different roads to each right one mm -hmm. is probably going to feel a little bit more safe a little bit more controlled entrepreneurs often are up and down a lot and there's lots of different curves and challenges that you're facing along the way but yeah that's that's lots of hard work and Obviously, it's shaped you to have some great work ethic. It, it has, and it's not for everyone. I was the guy that was sitting in college. I went to BYU and UVU here locally, two major universities. And uh, I started at UVU, and then I went to BYU, and I had a little uh, sideline teaching business that I did. And um, full schedule, just going after it. I remember going into a humanities class where there was like 300 students sitting in an amphitheater just scribbling out notes as fast as they can. And it was such a disconnect from who I was at my core. And I remember being in a business class and a professor sitting there, and I hate to say this, I don't mean this negatively in any way, but for me, the way I was receiving it was they were just sitting up there pontificating book theory. And back in those days, they didn't have a lot of like uh, alumni business owners that came back and, and did a professorship. These were uh, hardcore educational background, really hadn't done big things. And I remember sitting there in a particular day just going, okay, I've had it. I don't want to see more graphs. I don't want to see more ups and downs on the chalkboard. And this is, you know, how you, you know, get the sweet spot of expense versus margin, et cetera, et cetera. I didn't want to hear any more theory. I just said, you know what? I'm done. 
and kind of like walking out of that big department store, the power doors opening, I walked out of the school and I thought, it's not for me. I'm not going back. The only reason I'd ever go back, I considered being a doctor for like two or three weeks. And it was so funny. My family had all come up to me and go, oh, you're going to be a wonderful doctor. And I'm thinking, wonderful <laughs> doctor? I haven't even taken biology yet. You think I'm going to be a wonderful doctor? And I was grateful for their, you know, their, their compliments. But uh, I, I was doing it for my family. And I thought, I don't want to be a doctor. And, uh, and the only other reason I would have gone to school school is I'm a closet lawyer. I love law. I love to be a trial attorney, love to defend uh, truth and right and the small guy versus the big guy. So I would have done it for that, but for anything else, no. So that's when I went out and uh, created my first business. So do you think those two experiences are kind of like Mm -hmm. your entrepreneurial why? Because you know how everybody has a why for something. They all have a why for doing something. Do you think that those moments where you were just watching all the students take notes and, and thinking about books and having the instructor be there, do you think that was kind of like your very emotional, like, wow, like I will never be here again? It was definitely my break point. Like a defining it, moment. It was a defining moment. It was my break point. It was something that for me, and again, it's not for everybody. It doesn't make me any better or worse than anybody. Just for me, I decided I'm, I would rather be out doing it, even though I'm going to fall on my face and skin my nose. I'd be out, rather out doing it than talking about the theory or the theorem behind how to do it and you know, make sure you plan for this and plan for that and graph this and look at your trajectories and keep your costs in control, all those things that you should do to run a good business. I'd have rather gone out and just learned it on my own. And that's exactly what I did. And I never looked back. And I have no regrets to this day. I have zero regrets. I've had a very colorful background. I've had some real home runs. I've certainly had a couple gravel suckers, we like to call them in there, but those are the best. Those are the best for learning and for reaffirming what your values are and what your purpose is. You asked kind of about the purpose shift there, the defining moment. It was certainly a defining moment and grateful that I took this course. Again, I don't, I love all those that get a great education. There's people that are way more educated than I am, but I will say I have a double or triple PhD in street smarts as it relates to business as a result of that decision that I made decades ago. So kind of to summarize what you said, it's almost like experience is the ultimate teacher, right? Oh, absolutely. And mostly pain points are how you learn. The highs are great, but they don't last very long. It's the pain points that really help ingrain into your internals, your thinking, your uh, heart, your approach to things. Those are the things that really uh, burn into your your mind and heart. Absolutely. I completely agree with that. And um, just so proud of you. You're awesome. Um, no, you're awesome. No, I you really are. We should do a podcast on Kylie. <laughs> um, well, I have the best to learn from, but just want to hop on to the next question. We're like two questions in and I have about 20. So. And I'm sorry. I always have long answers for your short questions. I love context. <laughs> so I always project it the way I would love to hear it. So hopefully I'm not overbearing or underbearing here, but I want to make sure that I get the full thought out. No, I think the way you tell stories is so entertaining and I love it. So keep doing that. Um, the goal is actually not to get through all of these. So that's awesome. Okay, so question number three is what are some of your daily non-negotiables? What are something? What are some of like your daily habits as an entrepreneur? That's a good question. I thought the non-negotiables, I thought that's where you were going was habits. Um, 
my habits that that I think are 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 effective. I don't think they are. I know they are because I've had results from them, and they give me peace. And that is, uh, you know, I don't know if you're spiritual or not. I always start my day off with prayer, um, drawing upon a higher power. That's that's huge. Uh, if you think you can tackle this world all by yourself, I think you're terribly mistaken. I think uh, you need to draw upon God or that higher power, however you define that. And so I always start my day with prayer, and then I always start my day with study of the good word from the Bible and, and other great books. Um, and then I, I, um, I plan my day, and this is an old cliche, I plan my day and, plan my day and work my plan, right? And uh, I, I, I list every single thing I want to accomplish in that day, and it's, it's everything from something really small. For example, I might be buying grain for my cows. That's a really small thing. That doesn't change my life a whole lot. doesn't make me a better person, but it's on the task list to um, you know, work on a business plan or uh, call some very big, high-profile person to uh, interview them about my business or things like that. So it doesn't really matter if it's small, big, or large. It goes on that list. And I'm, I, I don't want to say I'm old school, but it's very therapeutic for me. It's dopamine all the way as I make a list of 20, 30, 40 things to do in a day and literally accomplishing all those. And I don't stop until I'm done. And that's to a fault as well. So I, I have to make myself stop and breathe and go, okay, if I don't get those last three things done, that's not the end of the world. But I did get what I like to call critical mass of all the important things done today. And that's, that's the important thing to take home. There's days I miss five, six, eight things. There's days I only miss two. There's days that feel even better when I hit all of them, but that's not always. I'm, I'm not too hard on myself. I live by a principle about that I call being directionally correct. So that means I'm not, I don't expect perfection of myself. I expect myself to keep going the right direction and I expect my daily roadmap to allow me to get there, but I'm not so rigid that if I miss six of my 22 items that my world as I know it is upside down doesn't bother me at all. I just carry those forward to the next day. But those are some of my habits that I do. I'm very, very active. I don't sit a lot. When I sit, it's meaningful time. When I'm uh, active and I've got ground and you know our background here, I got ground and cows and lots of places to be and, and storage buildings and things like that that I bounce around from. So I do on average five, six, seven miles a day and it's usually pretty physical. So that helps me as well. That's a that's a habit. I love all those things. I love how you are so driven to get everything done and you accomplish. He does. He accomplishes a lot of it and it blows me away how much he can get done in a day. Um, do you follow, do you believe in like the top three, kind of like what Raj talks about? Raj is our bro- is my brother and my dad's son, but, um, he always lives by the principle of like getting the top three things done and whatever else you can fill in. I, I, I know that. Of- yeah. I know Raj's philosophy a little bit. I really support it. I think it's wonderful. I, I, uh, and I understand the focus of it. I probably have not probably, I absolutely do have those top three things in my 21 items. But some of it is smaller, some of it is bigger. But those top three things are always fleshed out, if you will, in that list. I, I don't have the luxury in my mind, and I, and I, I mean this is a positive for how I'm saying it. I, I can't just do three things in a day, and maybe that's a fault of mine. But uh, 
I have to cover a wider swath. But those top three things are always included in there in that list. But yeah, I absolutely support that thinking and I think it's great. Yeah. I think some people I think too like to spend like I think it's good for some people to take some breaks and like be able to have like certain things because I think with you with how you approach tasks it's like you do really work really hard and then you'll you know go do something that's maybe like go feed the cows or do something that's like a separation from what you were just doing and then ride re- the snowmobile at 80 miles an hour for 10 minutes those are important <laughs> yeah. things yeah midday I'll just randomly hear the snowmobile just blaring across it's really funny that's therapeutic for me oh yeah (laughs) but I think whether your approach is you are doing it just focus work because I think there's some people who like to just do focus work and just work on one thing for like three or four hours but I think with you and sometimes like with me or I've I've noticed mom too just like taking breaks and doing different things and revisiting it and kind of doing like small bits at a time can help you to progress as well that's a really good point that kind of the concept you just talked about about revisiting like if I'm tackling a big task, I love to go past blank sheet. Blank sheet is let's throw down some ideas. Let's spitball the top 10 ideas that are distilling out of what I'm thinking right now. Let's develop those a little bit. So maybe it's a whole hour exercise or an hour and a half of fairly intense exercise. I like to to put it on paper. Now I kind of have a a direction. I have some really good ideas here. Then I like to sleep on it. The mind is a phenomenal thing, and, it, and it's, a, it's the ultimate of all computers created by him who saves us all, and I love that. But it, it works to find associated files. It works to find associated experiences, and when you wake up the next morning, those ideas can just be so poignant and so detailed and so real that that's where it really the critical mass moves forward. You go past blank page, you get the most important ideas distilled you sleep on it for me my mind works all night subconscious i wake up in the morning and in the shower i think of a certain thing and when i come back the next morning there's probably the best way to define it is absolute clarity at the detail level of how this new idea this new business this new whatever it is i'm working on should look and i am incredibly visual so when i see it black and white in a in a outline type format I visualize it in my mind, and that is huge for me. When I do a business, and I'm not always excellent at this, but I'm very directionally correct to use a term I used just a minute ago. When I see it in my mind, I do everything in my power to have what's in my mind and what's in reality as congruent and symmetrical as possible. And there's usually a huge gap when you start, and it takes time to finally get it. Now, that's really close to what I see in my mind's eye. So that's kind of my way to, to focus and then return to it at the next day and then to start to see a vision clearly in my mind of what it should look like. I like that. I think that's like for me, I like doing that kind of work and I also like doing focused work because I think you can get a lot more done with focused work, but it might not be like this, you know, you're going to get a lot of things done and you're going to advance but I don't know if it's I think it's about 70% of the full potential when you sleep on it I think when you come back sometimes you get that 100% again even though it's only for a shorter amount of time you get that full 100% so I think both ways can work awesome and um there was another point you mentioned about I'm trying to remember what you said I wish I would take notes but um anyway we'll go on to the next question for now and I'll revisit that back 
Like that I sounds said. good to me. And if um, you don't, that's still good to me. You're doing a great job. <laughs> Thanks. Okay. My so, daughter is currently 18, but she's going on 30. She's very mature, and very <laughs> with it. And I'm grateful to be with her today. Oh, thanks, Dad. Okay, so how have you dealt with the fear and doubt of being an entrepreneur? Because, okay, I remember now. So, okay, sorry. Back to where we were talking about before. You mentioned visualization and getting clear about what you want. So as people, if you were an, a new aspiring entrepreneur... Do you think that visualization is probably one of the most important things? And do you think, or do you think it's more important just to um, like experience it first? Because I think you don't really have a visualization until you experience things, right? I feel like it, it takes time. So would you say that that's one of the most important things is to visualize and to get really clear about what you want? Yeah, oh, for me, absolutely. So my mind's eye is is very much like a perfect still picture but also like a movie it has motion to it it has life to it and it and it and you break that down to create that vision it's everything from the the details of creating a spreadsheet and what price points cash flow projections what uh you know multiple is on ebitda uh for valuation at a future date uh other peripheral products, et cetera, that you might analyze more from a accounting type of mentality, that still becomes part of the vision. So you can see in your mind's eye the spreadsheet and what the numbers that that spits out. And, and you go on a feeling, is that price point real? Is that margin real? Is what you're offering a unique offering that has a lot of value to the, to the uh, consumer? And if so, what does that look like? So it starts there, the anal analysis, but then it has a life of its own and it has a visual moving life. So that goes from that still picture, maybe the still shot of looking at the spreadsheet, the still shot of the building, the still shot of the product. But then it goes to a movie and how are people interacting with that product? How, you know, how many opportunities do you have to uh, sell that product to a person? So a great product as a rule is something that could be in multiple could be multiple sales to any one individual, not only in the United States, but anywhere in the world. They could have three, four, five, six of these. That becomes hugely vivid. And you can see, hey, there's one in this room. There's one in their car. There's one on their workbench. There's one in their bedroom or whatever. And when you have that XYZ product, uh, it becomes so vivid. And now you can see it all around the world. You can see it in multiple uh, sales opportunities. And you see customers investing in this visual movie that you now see in your mind and not only investing once but investing multiple times and then you start thinking about upgrade products that are related to that and it becomes this huge thing and that for me is it has to be bigger in life or I don't want to do it mm -hmm. and my vision has to be huge I can't just sell you know a stick of gum to somebody and hope to do that 10 times in a day and that that's going to make a a difference in the world it's got to have some really impact it's got to have some scale right and some of the projects i've been involved with certainly have had huge scale and opportunity and potential and they have to have those elements and it has to like i say it starts as a still shot of different you know say five or ten different photos of how you might see it in your mind's eye then it goes into a movie and reality of how that plays out as a consumer interacts with your company 
what that looks like as they interact with your product, what that looks like. Do they flinch because we're charging too much? Would we need to add more value? You're asking yourselves a million questions, but it's all playing out for me, not everybody, but for me as a movie. And that's what gets me in essence off my butt and start the motion. So you would say that visualization kind of transfers into critical thinking and those critical thinking i think thought like uh questions that you were asking yourself as if you were in the position of starting a business is kind of what comes with experience like i said you don't get those questions until you experience it to know hey i need to be asking these questions but yeah I you love- don't know the questions to ask when you're first starting you may have three of them but you didn't realize there's probably about 131 yeah and those come from experience so i agree that's a great point yeah exactly and so like I guess what I'm wondering is what are some tips that you can give to like these new aspiring entrepreneurs that um, can help them to better like get clear about what they want? Because for me, I know what I want, but how do I advance the next step? How do I get more of that clarity like you were mentioning and, and visualize better? Do you have an answer for that? I have several answers. You know I'm going to have an answer, right? <laughs> so so, so I, I absolutely, one of my very favorite movies of all time, you already know what it is, Top Gun Maverick. Love the original Top Gun. Love the new Top Gun Maverick. I've seen it over a dozen times. And I love his thinking in there. And, and, and you've got to be careful with his thinking. But he says, don't think, just do, Right. And from that, you know, you don't want to do ready, fire, aim. I hope everybody knows what that means. That means you're shooting off the hip and you're not really thinking it out and you're just doing. But I love the no fear in that. And so going back to what I was talking about a minute ago is when that vision is so vivid that those those still shots, those 10 or a dozen still shots you see of company interaction with the customer and the company, the product, et cetera, and then the movie, it becomes so vivid, there's zero fear it's like, there is no way I can't do this. So your fear of picking the phone, and I'm not intimidated by anybody. I don't care. I don't mean to be, you know, basic here, but everybody goes to the bathroom the same way. So I look at it that way. I don't care what their bank account is or what it isn't. I care their val- their, their talent base. I care their, their ethic base, their value base. And so it doesn't matter. So long as they have those things intact, I'm not worried about working with them. And the reason I'm not is my vision is so vivid and bigger than life, bigger than I am individually, that the fear really goes out of the equation. It, it all comes, and there's always fear. I mean, there's always that trepidation right in the moment. Oh, man, I'm calling the um, you know, president of Sam's Club, or I'm meeting with uh, this huge account today. Everything depends on this. There's that moment butterflies for just a second but then once i start sharing some of my vision they're not gonna, i don't have time they don't have time <laughs> for me to share my three-hour vision but i take my three minutes of most poignant parts of that vision and share it with them i'm in my element i have zero fear i can only see the outcome now they may vehemently disagree and say there is no positive outcome here but i see it that's what drives me through my fear so rather than I'll, I'll kind of end on that question. You're certainly welcome to come back to it if there's other things you want to ask. But I live a lot by General Patton was a very famous general. And he said something, I'm going to get this in context, but not perfect. But he said, basically, I'll take a plan, a 70% plan violently executed today versus a perfect plan tomorrow. 
And basically, if you add to that, there is no such thing as a perfect plan in the first place. And you'll get miles ahead by taking a critical mass, a 70% quote-unquote right or directionally correct plan, and executing it right now because there's always evolution in business. You can plan with the best people. You can plan your best plan. You can get with experts, and they're still going to miss a ton. And where you pick up those little nuances is by actually doing. So I'll circle back to what I originally said. Don't think too much. Be more guilty of doing than thinking too much. You can overthink your way out of anything, and you'll never, ever start something that you're fearful of because you've thought about it excuse me, way, way too much. No, yeah, I just love the idea of taking, like you said, taking action and not thinking about it too much because the more you think, the less you do, right? And I think that's that's something that I've also, I feel like I've, I've followed in your footsteps a little bit with that, with just like, okay, we're just going to go with it. And you know what? I'm going to do the best I can now. If it's not 100%, well, at least I tried, you know? And, and exactly, and you're going to evolve, and you're going to learn and you're going to shift on the fly because your vision is strong enough. It's big enough. You're like, I know I'm going to learn things. I know I'm on some of the wrong path and some of the way I'm thinking right now, but I'm going to discover that. It's discovery. In law, they call it discovery. Really fleshing out the facts, the real pertinent day-to-day, how is this business really going to function? I have my mind's eye. I have these snapshots. I have a movie. Uh, but now I'm going to put it on the stage and see how it really functions. And I'm anxious to get there. That's why like General Patton, I'd rather violently execute a directionally correct plan that's 70% that's going to evolve to a much more sound and real plan. It becomes more and more real as you actually do. So don't overthink. You can overthink your way out of anything and uh, spend, you know, 10 times too long and uh, uh, never, ever create anything meaningful in life because you, they call it analysis paralysis. I hate that. I, it's, you know, it's funny. I'll end on this and then let's go to another question. But I remember talking to you one day and you said, have you ever heard of a guy by the name of Tony Robbins? And I said, do you mean Anthony Robbins? He used to go by Anthony Robbins way back when, and you know his story. Maybe you've talked a little bit about it on here, but just briefly, he went through uh, NLP, which is programming of the mind. He got about halfway through and he said, hey, pardon me, but he says, screw this. I'm just going to go do it. And he talks constantly for decades. He's been saying, plan your work, work your plan, but then take massive action. Favor on the side of action versus analysis paralysis. Perfection will not get you there. Massive action will. I'm just taking note as you're speaking, favor on the side of action massive action massive action i love that so much because there is a lot of thinking that goes into a lot of business because you don't i think a lot of people are are scared of what other people will think they're scared of how they'll you know disappoint someone else or maybe they'll disappoint themselves or there's so many limiting beliefs that they're stuck under and so I like how you said, just take the massive action. After you've learned what you need to learn, now you, it's, now it's time to take a step forward. There was a seminar I was at, actually, it was th- through the church, but it was Byron Belka, you know him? Mm-hmm. But he talks, uh, he talked a lot about how people who 
stop growing are just they're just not learning and that's a big thing is i think you need to constantly be learning then take a step then learning then take a step right you can't just keep step 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 because that's what a lot of entrepreneurs want to do like you said you have that anxious you want you want to be successful so bad so by you tomorrow just, morning exactly by next week by so you next just month do action 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 and then you don't get results because you're not learning from each action and you're not learning new things to possibly help like you were saying with the critical thinking and the visualization like expounding on what more you can do you know okay so um for we have a couple of we'll do like three or four more questions but um okay so who always scary to ask me a question because i have really long answers for short questions but i just like i say i love context i love experience related type of answers that's why they're a little longer I think everyone loves those I think everyone searches for those and a lot of people don't have the experience to do so this is a fun experience for all of us actually um but I did already kind of ask you this you said um it was just the how do you deal with fear and doubt and that was like after because I recircled back to my point but you were kind of it's just the massive action thing right is that kind of your answer to that one? Well, my answer to fear is that the bigger, more vivid those pictures in that movie is, the less fear there is from the outset. Mm-hmm. There's always the fear in just the first moment. I'm meeting with a very famous person. I'm meeting with somebody that's worth, uh, you know, 100 times more than me today. Um, whatever that intimidation factor may be. I only have that momentarily, and then I, I literally, for me, you know, they tell comedians just envision everybody sitting there in their underwear, and you'll never be as scared as you would be if you didn't, right? And that same type of thinking, everybody goes to the bathroom the same way. I, you know, they're a human being at the core. They have challenges and family and kids and problems and successes and victories and all those things, just like I do. They have a little bit different bank account sometimes than I do that day. But uh, I'm not intimidated by that at all. So I have those butterflies. They're momentary just because my vision's so um, big uh, and I'm so excited to share that vision with them and to see their response and to see them buy in and start creating their own pictures and movies in their mind. And you can see that. You always can see it when somebody's buying in. You can also see it when they're not and they're daydreaming and looking out the window and they don't relate to your, you know, bubblegum company because they've never had an experience with bubblegum and I'm using that facetiously but um, it's so fun when you get somebody engaged in what you're working on I think that's a huge thing is is also focusing outward right focusing on how you can better improve someone else's life and how you can contribute to those around you through your product or through your business because I think that's something you really excel that and I that's why I included it in the kind of the introduction is just that you've been able to build business relationships it's not just a you know um acquaintance and a you know just a transactional type of thing it's like it's an actual relationship if you weren't to be in business with this person you could still be friends with them years down the line which i think that can be really hard for a lot of people but it is because of the way that you contribute and you're focused on that and you are focused on giving the vision which i think is something that all entrepreneurs listening should do as well is focus outward if you are new to entrepreneuring is focus outward and also work on in so work inward but focus outward i think but anyway you yeah. don't have anything to absolutely um so my next question for you is um let's see so 
How do you set your business apart from others in the industry? As someone who has been able to market really well and sell really well, what was something you did that helped that? I'm going to answer your question maybe a little differently. You might might think I would. Uh, we live in a highly technological world, and I am a early adopter when it comes to technology. I remember back in 1996, I bought a satellite dish because I could go from 56K download speeds, which is horrendously slow. A graphic would come up on your computer, a car or whatever, and you could literally go out and get a drink and then go, oh, yeah, that's a truck. Now I can see it's a truck. And then you go out and have a snack and come back, and it would be, oh, that's a Chevy truck. And it was so incredibly slow and I remember getting a satellite dish in 1996 um, uh, well before you were born and we went to 500k download speeds and it was amazing so we live in this really techie world but we're techie to a massive fault as a people as business people if you treat you you asked a question about you know connecting and and, bu and building business I, I, that builds on trust, it builds on relationships, and it builds on the warmth that technology cannot offer. And if you look at your customers like they're you, and what would you want? I know that kind of goes back to the golden rule, right? Treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, that's huge. And making yourself accessible. Everybody's got digital everything and ways to answer the phones that you don't have to actually answer and all that stuff. And those that's so cold. And... Uh, um, it just doesn't build relationships. So I believe that you need to have physical interaction. In, and in today's world with technology, you can have, excuse me, physical interaction, but it can be sprinkled out enough to where people at least feel a connection to you, your product, and your company. You do that, you get customers for life. You treat them like a machine. Please press nine, please press eight. Press one for this, four for that, six for that, eternal hold. That doesn't connect anybody emotionally with your business. There's 101 other businesses that are doing the exact same thing. How do you separate yourself? Give phenomenal customer service, and I would add customer connection, and that'll separate you from the pack. So I don't care if you're selling bubblegum or tires or uh, franchises or whatever it is your product or service is, if you'll connect with those people, if they feel people connect heart to heart, they justify rationally with numbers and thoughts of rationality after they've made the emotional decision. And that is something that today's world and a lot of millennial and other newer generations don't think they've intended to do it that way, but they've tried in the, in the, frame of efficiency and automation that they've eliminated some of that real connection that makes a lifetime customer there's there's 101 choices when there's nine different things you can push and sit on eternal hold there's 101 companies that do that all day long including really big companies that we all consume products from but it doesn't endear customers to that product or service it doesn't make them life customers when there's virtually no human interaction, pleasant, sincere human interaction. So I think that's a huge key to separating, you kind of asked about that question, separating yourself from the pack and the herd is give phenomenal, incredible service as you envision it in your mind's eye in that movie and then have a human connection as much as physically possible and still scale. 
you can't do a thousand orders in a day. At least it doesn't feel like it from the outset if you're interfacing with each one of those, but you can done well. You can. I love how you said, look at your customers like you look at them like you want to be treated. And I think that was kind of like the main preface of what you said. Um, and I really think that's, it's really hard for people to break out of technology after being in all these nine to five jobs and constantly being on computers and constantly being distracted. So I agree with that. And I think that can really, that really can't separate you. Um, so these are kind of for the insp uh, aspiring entrepreneurs. These are all very uh, directed towards you. Um, if you are listening and wanting to be an entrepreneur, um, any advice you have about setting up a business in terms of legal and accounting as someone who has built businesses? Yes. What are some of your mm -hmm. advice and tips? First of all, it's not as big of a mountain as it might appear if you've never done it. You can do an LLC online in a matter of minutes. You can do a name search within your own state in a matter of minutes and see if, you know, ABC company is available. Um, you can do a, a, a boilerplate template for an LLC and that's what I recommend to start with a limited liability company and please consult with your uh, tax professional and attorneys on that front but that's what I would gel that out to or distill that out to is do an LLC cost you 50 75 bucks to uh, do a name search and set up your LLC and then just go take that uh, and get your federal ID number get your employee ID number and then you can go to the bank set up your account and hey I'm setting up an account at ABC Bank it's ABC company and so you get a you bank account with a business check, duplicate checks. I'm getting really specific here. So you can start tracking what you're doing and then um, get a debit card. And you can do all that in a matter of half a day, focused effort, half a day. You're set up. You're a real entity and you're on your way. When you do start collecting revenue, have a plan for managing that revenue. A lot of people, unfortunately, one of the biggest crimes that early business starters for no better terms do, is if there's money in the account and they have a debit card or they have a checkbook, then they have money to spend. And that is a critical mistake and the beginning of the end of your business. So have discussions early on. Maybe you even say, hey, you do a good job for me. I'd love to uh, get you involved and give you some shares or ownership in my LLC and find yourself somebody that could grow into a CFO or chief financial officer type of position and thinking. And, then, and a lot of guys that are doing that type of work are really open to exciting new ideas that are way bigger than their little cubicle and their calculator and their computer. And I don't mean that in any negative or condescending way, but they'd love to break out of that and have something way bigger than them. And they love the fact that there's somebody here with energy and a crystal clear vision. And wow, I don't really like their vision. I can see their vision. And now they're saying, hey, why don't you just help me do books here? Kind of minor things right now. There won't be much revenue for a little bit, but they can grow with me. And so I'm always looking, I only work with people that I think have the potential to be a CFO or know people or in the circle to recommend a CFO type person because I'm going to get there in my mind's eye as quickly as possible. You want somebody managing that money, which frees up your time. You may be good at it. I'm okay at it, but I know there's people that are 10 times better at it and that's all they do for a living. I want those people involved. I want them to run that money tight and have the key to the to the safe, so to speak, and uh, put controls in place, put uh, 
processes in place. Any expenditure over a hundred bucks when you're starting is a big expenditure. Then it's five hundred. Then it's a thousand. Then it's five thousand. And those are discussed and they're understood by process how that approval process happens. You know, we're not worried about you buying a ream of paper. We are worried about you buying a new uh, $75,000 truck to move our product way too early in the process. Uh, Those are dumb things to spend money on. And when you have a good financial mind that's working closely with you, you can bounce those ideas. What about this delivery truck? Nah, I don't think our volume's where it needs to be yet. Let's keep using the old pickup we have now. Maybe we can look at a you know, nicer truck later. Those types of decisions, you need a financial sounding board for and do that earlier than later, even when there's nothing to pay them other than here's my vision. I'd love to give you some ownership in it. Ride with me. Yeah. Wow. That I mean, that is like the whole book of business right there. And, you know, however, two minutes, three minutes. I just want to outline kind of what you said, um, just so everyone can kind of like remember and recall so he said to start an LLC, it's only 50 to $70, um, get your federal ID number, go to the bank, um, set up a bank account and a business card, um, and then save your money and budget early on and have someone else build a relationship, like you said, where they can, um, you can give them maybe stock or you can give them like a investment sort, sort of thing with... An accountant type, a, a, yeah. a, a CPA type of person that would be excited to be part of a worldwide bubblegum company because they're never going to do that. Exactly. And that's not a negative against them. It's just you're their ticket to ride. That's kind of the exciting part of their life. They've got their thumbs in a couple businesses, yours being one of them, and maybe they'll be CFO of that one day. Yeah, yeah, that's that's ex- incredibly smart, and I know that's probably from experience that you've learned that. Um, I like how you said two controls and budgeting. I think that's also something people forget once they make money. They're like, oh, I'm going to buy a new car. Oh, I'm going to buy all these new things. But then it's like they're going paycheck to paycheck. And now they're no longer, you know, in a surplus. They're in that maintenance. They're not making anything. And financial guys have a way of painting absolute stark reality. That's the, the, a lot of them, the kind of world they work in. So they should be running, going over the numbers with you weekly in the beginning and definitely no longer than monthly and they should be accountable for a profit and loss so you may be thinking hey we want to lease that new $75,000 delivery truck and uh, they're saying hey we lost $11,000 last month we are on a pathway to become profitable but we lost technically lost 11,000 last month and that's not a time to be out thinking hey man people are loving our idea it's time to buy stuff it's time to really get professional I can see that you know that truck that van with a our logo painted on the side and it's going down the freeway and that's super exciting but don't do it early let someone else say you know, that's a good idea, or why don't we wait another three months and then we'll be close to showing profit, and that might make sense when you start investing a little bit more into those types of things. And obviously a hypothetical situation, but hopefully that point gets driven home. They are the controls to say, no, not now, maybe six months from now, maybe a quarter, and you need those checks and balances. Because anybody that's, some financial guys can be dangerous too. Money's in the account, we got a check, book we got bills to pay we got things we got to do hey the check will clear let's cut it that's not really sound financial foundational type of decisions for a solid long-term business 
that is solid advice solid advice especially to someone who is just starting out and they need to know how to budget and to have that those relationships like you said and I think it's I would have never thought to bring them in and to make it fun for them as well and kind of have that reward where it's again back to contribution what can I give right so I love that um so for the last couple questions we're going to end out here um there's so many more I had, but I just, I'm loving all the, everything. But your dad has way too long of answers. No, 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 no. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Most people don't even have this many questions anyway. So, um, I was just excited, but okay. So what are, let's see. Yeah, let's see. Let's do that one. What are some of your future and current goals? You personally. Boy, that's a good boy. That's a that's a really loaded question. We'd probably have to do a couple more podcasts to really flesh that all the way out. But <laughs> I can I can react this way. I I guess some of my guiding principle is, you know, I'm at an age in my life, and I'm certainly not old. I'm 25 inside my body. My exterior is not 25 quite anymore. But I, what's important to me today may not have been as important as it was, you know, or or vice versa, two or three decades ago. You're your your vision changes. I want to leave my mark on this world. I want to leave my mark on my family. I want to lead by example. I want to be a fighter. I want to be a visionary. I want those are some of my macro macro type of thinking as it relates to goals. And I want to leave my mark on this world. You can affect you know your cause and effect on family is your first priority. Hopefully very positive. Hopefully way more positive than any negatives. But uh, to leave a legacy to your for your family. First by example, not just monetarily, but I'd love to do, I've, I've had a goal to do for a couple decades, a foundation, the Rubicon Foundation. Um, that's a whole other story. I'm writing a book called The Rubicon Principle. It's been a work in progress for years. I love the whole concept of Rubicon. I'd be happy to develop that later if you have interest, but I'd lo- I want to have a Rubicon Foundation. And in order to really do cause and effect in this world, you've got to have pretty significant resources to really... You know, whether it's a thousand micro loans at a thousand dollars a piece in a country like parts of Africa, so it takes a million, a thousand times a thousand is a million dollars. That's fairly significant money. But to do that in more than one place and do that in deeper and more meaningful causes, because it's someday you have all the things. And what I've learned, and I learned this way early on, I'm a car nut, you know that. I've owned a lot of different cars. You, you, you shoot for a goal to buy the ultimate car to you, whatever that may be. And it's all shiny. It smells good. It runs phenomenal. It does everything you wanted to do, but that wears off by Monday. It just does. And then you either paid for it cash, which I would highly recommend if you can, um, or you're in debt when you're young and stupid. No offense to people that are deep in debt, but you watch these people driving 90 and a hundred thousand dollar trucks and half their income goes to pay for them. They're rolling around in their own apartment, which is just not wise. I'll just put it that way. And, and the, the, the reward or the, uh, satisfaction you get from going out Monday morning and it's in your garage, you're like, wow, that's pretty. That wears off so fast. It wears off in 24, 48, probably no more than 72 hours. Then all the fun and flash of having it are gone. Now the reality is setting in. And so I like meaningful things. Things are not meaningful experiences with family, meaningful experience with helping other people and that vision that I try to keep so alive uh, because things don't do it. I have a nice boat. I have nice cars. I have nice things. But those 
the, the, the feeling of that is worn out long They're ago. Fleeting. They're fleeting. And what's amazing is a really memorable experience with, with family, with grandkids, with going to a certain place that everybody really enjoys and making memories. Those are huge. And then going beyond that. So my macro, macro goal is, like a lot of people, to leave this life, to leave a legacy much better than when I came in and to leave my mark, whether it's through a foundation or a, a business that blesses people's lives through the great products or services they offer or a combination, preferably, of all the above. So that's what I'm always aspiring to. And I, you know, one of my dear friends is 76 years old. He comes from a, I won't mention his name, so you, but he comes from the worst gene pool on the planet. His brothers and sisters are gone. His parents are gone. He had every sickness known to man up until he was 45 years old. And he got really involved in nutritionals and fitness, et cetera. And I want to be that guy. I've always thought, you know, 65 is not a destination. Life is a journey. And uh, I want to be actively involved. Do I want to be grinding out 16 hours a day when I'm 65 or 70? Oh, heck no. But do I want to be working on worthwhile causes, whether it's books, foundation, uh, serving others, having the resources to help those in need? Uh, absolutely. Being, you know, being on the board of something bigger than me, helping make big, huge decisions in a company that's really doing some good in the world and, and maybe being involved two or three times a week in different capacities and meetings. Absolutely. I could do that until I pass one day. And I really believe this, and I'll stop here. I really believe that activity and, and being a sponge and taking every bit of life in any way you can until the day you can't is incredibly important to me. And I believe that extends my life and extends the opportunity I have to really make a difference in this world. It buys me more time by being active and keeping a much bigger vision than myself, alive and vital and making me move in the right direction. What an incredible answer. Seriously, you are absolutely amazing. And I think that your dreams and goals are beyond way beyond what most people are thinking in terms of contribution to the world so that is incredible and what what a task I mean that's a big one but you know you chip it off one day at a time by getting closer to your dream by being amazing and inspiring people and learning like you said being a sponge keeping yourself young there's an old adage that says shoot for the moon and hit the treetops yeah or hit somewhere in between, but it's because you shot for the moon. Exactly. To really make a difference in this world, you can't have goals and a vision that is way too small. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, it's it's just amazing how much you want to contribute. I'm really inspired by that. And I, I think a lot of people will be inspired by that as well. And I just want to say, um, as we're ending out here, so last, last question um, for you. For Do you really want to ask another question? This is the last Scary, one. Scary, long <laughs> What answers. are the three book recommendations that every aspiring entrepreneur should read and why? Oh, wow. I have read so many books. Um, I'm just trying to think of things that come to mind. I'm going to do some current stuff because I, I've really, really been impacted. Good to Great Collins is classic goodness. Making sure you have the right people on the bus and that your values are in place and and uh, building solid business and business relationship and life relationships. That's good to great is awesome. 
by Jim Collins. Tipping Point, Malcolm, uh, that's a wonderful book. But the two most influential books to me as of late are by Greg McCown. And I hope I'm not hammering his last name. He is super um, inspirational, super on point. And uh, he's written two books, and I hope I don't hammer the name. One's Essentialism, first book you should read. And then his second book goes hand in hand, is so powerful. And this is a shout out to you, Greg. If you ever get a chance to hear this podcast, don't know if it'll make it to you. But the second book is Effortless. And a lot of the principles of these two books are eliminate all the minutiae out of your life. Focus on those things that are most important, that have most cause and effect of moving your life forward, and then do it in a way that is frictionless. In fact, he kind of teaches the path of least resistance isn't the negative that we've all kind of made it out to be. It's the best way for human nature to succeed on not just business fronts, but family fronts, relationships, etc. Take all the friction out of things that allow you to succeed on virtually every front. So I highly recommend. There's a whole, that's a loaded question for me because I'm a really avid reader. I love to read. Um, but yeah, those are a couple books that I brought up originally. Those are great. A lot of Tony Robbins stuff, you know, really, really good. But those two books as of late are probably far and away the most influential books I've read in probably decades. So Essentialism and Effortless, two fantastic ones I'd recommend for anybody. I think what's awesome too is that knowledge just becomes more and more like relevant to the times. Like right now, I think those are very, like there's lots of minutia with all the distractions we have. So I think those are probably two of the best books like you mentioned i'm excited i need i need to read them because i always hear you talking about them so and also so i'm gonna um just to kind of outline the books that you said just to mention for everyone um good to great by jim collins um and then my, he also said greg mcgowan essentialism and greg mcgowan effortless so yes. those three books are the top three and dad it was an absolute pleasure to have you on today thanks so much for being on it's Believe been great to podcast. be here hopefully we didn't go so long we've, we've lost some people with the length of this <laughs> podcast but uh no really great questions and boy life experience is so wonderful don't uh, you hear this a billion times i i still feel 25 i really do i don't feel any different than when i was 25 but Take advantage of every day. Make it meaningful. Don't sit in front of a video game for six hours. Don't sit in front of a computer for six hours. Um, go out and do. Plan your work. Work your plan. Get a clear and uh, huge vision, much bigger than you are, and take all the fear out of the equation, and then just go and do. Don't think. Just do. And I love that. Love you so much. Thanks for being Love on today. You. And thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. Um, I hope that you entrepreneurs out there all follow your dreams and can get something from today's podcast. In fact, I know you will. I hope you had a notepad and a pen with you. You were taking notes. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining us today, you guys. We are out.